worshiping in an open air facility in the middle of a tropical storm. What a Caribbean kind of thing to do. (laughs) I'm always amazed at the way the Lord interweaves the songs with the message. He's done that again today. How many of you like watching TV game shows? What a question. (laughs) It's been really interesting during the pandemic with Jesse and Caleb home to learn that they uh, they love Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> my grandparents used to watch it. My mom watched it. I had no idea my kids watched it. Now, on Wheel of Fortune, if you make it to the bonus round, you have a chance. Okay, y'all going to have to practice social nearness. I'll do the best I can, but... On Wheel of Fortune, if you make it to the bonus round, you have a chance to win a million dollars in cash or prizes if you guess the word or phrase based on a topic that you choose. Now, that topic can be thing, which is not the one to choose. It could be food and beverage. It could be in the kitchen, etc. But often, one of those choices is, what are you wearing? We're not playing Wheel of Fortune this morning for cash or prizes, but I want us to consider the topic of what are you wearing in hopes of gaining spiritual wisdom and encouragement to go deeper in our commitment to follow Christ's call. Roger, can you hear me? I'm just checking the back row there. Okay. Well, you may ask, what does what I'm wearing have to do with with that? That's a good question, so let's see. You've heard the old adage that clothes make the man, right? Well, in the physical world, that's a very superficial and subjective statement. Traditionally, of course, if one wanted to be successful in business or commerce, they had to dress for success. Many of those norms have changed today, of course, but there's still a socially acceptable dress code that's appropriate to different occasions. For instance, we would not dress the same for a funeral or a wedding as we would for a picnic or a ball game. But clothing in the physical world has little to do with the character or temperament of the person wearing the clothes. That's the physical world, the scene. What does the Bible tell us about clothing in the spiritual world, the unseen? Now let me state early on that the message this morning is is not about fashion, but it's rather about being fashioned into the person of God's choosing and living in a manner that glorifies Him. And we do that successfully in great measure by how we are clothed. This is not all-inclusive, but I want us to look this morning at a few examples, biblical examples of clothing and the spiritual significance that each has in the life of the believer. So first look with me, if you would, in John chapter 11 at the death and resurrection of Lazarus, beginning with verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was then. What an interesting two sentences. He loved them. He's sick. I'm going to hang around a couple more days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered what seems like a peculiar thing, but he says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and there was a stone lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. I think another verse says he stinketh. For he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, of course, (laughs) and told them the things which Jesus had done. I wanted to read that whole passage because what an incredible series of events are accounted for here. This story is a representation of the gospel. We are dead in our sins without Christ. All our worldly possessions are worthless to us. We are dead and alone without God in the world. We have need of nothing in this world more than life. Apart from Christ, we are bound and our fate is sealed like the stone at Lazarus' tomb. But when Christ comes to us and He calls out our name with authority and commands us to come forth and follow Him, We are raised to new life in Him. For He is the resurrection and the life. And if we believe in Him, we will live even if we die. There's so much to unpack in these verses. But I want us today to consider for a few moments specifically the garments that Lazarus was wearing and clothed with. I'm going to call these grave clothes. Lazarus was bound hand and foot. And even his face was wrapped with cloth. He was like a mummy. When we're without Christ, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and thus we are spiritually bound as the dead. Our feet are bound so that we cannot walk. Our hands are bound so that we cannot work. Our eyes are covered so that we cannot see. And our mouths are covered so that we cannot speak. We are spiritually ineffective for life in God's kingdom. But when Christ calls our name, we're raised to life, and as our spirit and as spiritual newborns, we hobble out of the grave. Out of our bondage of sin, often still wearing our grave clothes until Christ sets us free. It's interesting here to note that Jesus doesn't follow up Lazarus come forth with be loosed. (laughs) Instead, he doesn't unbind Lazarus. He speaks to those gathered, the fellowship of believers, and said, unbind him and let him go. He also said, move the stone. Yeah. 
There's a participation of the, of the faithful. Now, of course, Jesus has the power of his spoken word to cause the grave clothes to fall right off. But Christ chose to use the fellowship of the body of Christ to unbind him. Body ministry. But Christ chose to use the fellowship to unbind him. Often God uses the fellowship believers in the church to unwrap the grave clothes of new converts and by teaching and discipleship with grace and mercy to clothe them with hope, faith, and love. So when we are resurrected to new life in Christ, we begin the process of shedding our grave clothes. And this takes place in the fellowship of the church. We are here today shedding grave clothes through worship and through listening and accepting His Word. Putting on new clothes that come from a humble submission to Christ because we want to be faithful to His call on our lives. Just as Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb to wake him from the dead, each of us can probably share a story of the moment when Christ called our name and said, come forth. Randy, rise. (laughs) And in that moment, our lives are forever changed as the life of God, the light of the world, penetrates our hardened hearts and minds with the sobering truth of who Jesus Christ is, the way, the truth, the life. Matthew Henry in his concise commentary notes of this passage, when we have read or heard the word of Christ about the great things of the other world, we should put it to ourselves, do we believe this truth? Do we believe it? The crosses and comforts of this present time would not make such a deep impression upon us as they do if we believe the things of eternity as we ought. When Christ our Master comes, He calls for us. He comes in His Word and ordinances and calls us to them, calls us by them, calls us to Himself. Those who in a day of peace set themselves at Christ's feet to be taught by Him may with comfort in a day of trouble cast themselves at His feet to find favor with Him. When Christ calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light, out of death into life, we are immediately enrolled in what John Piper's referred to as the school of Christ. We've got a lot to learn. We're a new creation in Christ, and as such we need to think new in order to live new. The Apostle Paul speaks of this reschooling, if you will, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24, when he says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Many of us have testimonies of some immediate deliverance or change from our former lives when we answer Christ's call, when we say yes to Jesus. How often, however, it often takes time, sometimes years, at the feet of Jesus and in the fellowship of the saints to remove the grave clothes and put on the new. But this is what Christ calls us to. To lay aside the old man, the old path, the old life, and to take up the new. <clears throat> to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward the upward call of Christ that we would become the righteousness of God in Him to a lost and dying world. We live in a time when there's much talk about being woke. But as believers in Christ who have heard His voice saying, Come forth, we truly know what it means to be awakened. We're awakened to the futility of our minds, the darkness of our understanding, the ignorance of what is real in the world because of the hardness of our hearts. <coughs> Excuse me. When Christ awakens us and begins to teach us His ways, He calls us to do one thing. Change your clothes. <laughs> to take off and lay aside the old self and to put on the new. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Not used to talking this loud. <clears throat> the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 24. But how do we do this? Verse 23 of Ephesians 4 tells us how. By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. John Piper once put it this way. I love this. The answer is to fill the mind continually with truth about spiritual, eternal, heavenly reality. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Paul says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. How? The answer is because we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul was renewed in the spirit of his mind by filling his mind with the unseen truths of eternity, so that the loud, garish deceitfulness of this world was pushed out. He says in Colossians 3, 2-3, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Fill your mind with the truth of heaven. (coughs) And here in Ephesians, Paul prays for us in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope to which God has called us. And what are the riches of His glorious inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Why does He want us to see these things with the eyes of our heart? Because this is what renews the spirit of the mind. 
when it is full of the truth of God's power and promises. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, Paul prayed for us that we may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Why? Because when your mind is filled with the love of Christ and with all the fullness of God, then the spirit of your mind is renewed and freed from the deceit of the world. And out of that renewed mind come new attitudes and emotions and new practices. And they clothe you with righteousness and holiness. And this new person that you become is indeed the creation of God Himself. And to Him belongs all the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is how we change our clothes and put on the new man. What a rich life God has called us to. What a rich life He has blessed us with. To not pursue the Lord by allowing Him to do this work in us is such a tragedy. (coughs) Christ is Lord of all and in all, and all is held together by Him. Thank you. And not knowing that, not understanding that, not experiencing that, not embracing that, renders life futile and hopeless. Without Christ, we are relegated to merely pursuing pleasure and accumulating things that are only temporal, that will not last. Because we don't know the one thing that changes life and brings ultimate fulfillment. fulfillment. That's the knowledge of Christ. Understanding this, the martyred missionary Jim Elliott famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. According to verse 21 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we don't have to walk in futility anymore. If two things are true to us, one, we have heard Him, we've answered His call, and two, we are taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus. So what is it that holds us back from truly laying hold of Christ Ultimately, as Scripture said, is the hardness of our heart. Paul declares we did not learn Christ this way if we have heard His voice and are taught in Him. When Christ calls a man or woman to follow Him and they've heard His voice, one of the first things He will say is, and maybe not in these particular words, but the essence is, change your clothes. To the woman caught in adultery, what did He say? Go and sin no more. Change your clothes. Put off the old self. Put off the former way of life. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on righteousness and holiness in the truth. Putting off the old self is more than just not doing the things that we used to do that we know are wrong. It's also putting away the attitudes and motivations and emotions behind those actions. Christ calls us to deal with the root of sin, not just the fruit of sin. So to recap, we put off our grave clothes, we're continually putting off our old self, and 
we also at times of battle put on the full armor of God, another type of clothing. But there's one more type of clothing I want us to be mindful of this morning. We find this clothing in the parable of the marriage feast in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Bill alluded to this in one of the earlier songs. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Here's the key. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. In the day of judgment there will be many who claim to know Christ. They may acknowledge him intellectually, emotionally, but they don't know him. They have not in humility entered into the school of Jesus to learn his ways and to be transformed by the renewing of their minds to a life pleasing to him. Their hearts are hard and they're far from him. Their lives do not reflect his truth. And as in this parable, they will be bound, as with grave clothes, and thrown into the outer darkness. Instead of those words that are on Bill's cake, enter in thou good and faithful servant, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's possible to acknowledge Jesus, but have no knowledge of him. We must shed our grave clothes, put off our old self-clothes, put on our new self-clothes, and go a step further to prepare wedding clothes if we're to be ready for the wedding feast. I don't know about you, but this image of laying out wedding clothes in preparation for the wedding day that's coming, it's motivational to me towards prayer and the study of scriptures and towards fellowship and our service towards one another. We want to look our best when the king comes to look over the dinner guests, right? A final thought about spiritual clothing. The Christian faith is not a self-improvement course. Christ calls us 
and teaches us and he bids us to follow him. He calls us to change our clothes, but he doesn't expect us to do the changing, as Bill mentioned earlier. It's a work that he will do if we humble ourselves and ask him to. The most amazing thing about how God works in our lives to change us is he does all the changing. My participation is in the surrender to his work and his will. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And 1 Thessalonians 5.24, one of my favorite verses, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. You've heard me say before that I have a heart that I cannot change. I have a will that God will not change. But if I will change my will, God will change my heart. So what are you wearing today? Are there still some grave clothes that need to be removed through prayer and the ministry of the body of Christ? Are you struggling with pulling old clothes out of the spiritual closet and trying them on now and then? Or are you finding victory in the renewal of your mind and putting on the new self? Do you have a passion to prepare your heart and mind to put on wedding clothes at the Lord's coming wedding feast? Colossians 3, 12 through 17 gives us further direction on putting on the new person and what that looks like. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. I hope these scriptures and thoughts of our clothing in God have encouraged you this morning and giving you a new desire to go deeper with Christ. I want to close with a short passage from Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 11 that says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. As the bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, our hearts are full this morning at your goodness and your grace and your mercy, your faithfulness, your loving kindness towards us. 
We once were not a people, but by Your grace, today we are a people of God. I thank You that we are Your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that we would walk in the good works You've created for us before the beginning of time. What a rich and blessed life we have because of Jesus. Lord, again today we come before You and at Your feet we ask You, Lord Jesus, to teach us, to have patience with us, to draw us ever closer, to show us where we are in error, to grant us the grace, Lord, to repent and return that times of refreshing would come from Your very presence. Lord, give us a vision of not only laying aside grave clothes and putting off the old self and putting on the new, but also preparing wedding garments that when we stand in that great feast, You'd be pleased with us. We love You, Lord Jesus. It's because of Your grace that we can speak those words. It's because of Your grace that we have a knowledge of You. and It's almost too much to understand or comprehend Your goodness to us. But Jesus, we love You. Have Your way in us. Equip us and make us faithful followers to hear those words. So we commit ourselves anew and afresh to You today. And we thank You for Your goodness to us. We ask it in Your name. Amen. Homeschool gathering place, and, and I have a new boss that's recently been bought out. And uh, so the people who bought the store, their son got married last weekend, mm-hmm. and they came back with this story that is such a God story <laughs> from that wedding. And so their son is was best friends with the groom, and was in the wedding, and it was a big wedding. And uh, so they got there um, ready for the wedding. It's uh, about three hours from Chicago in this little tiny town and um, there um, it was the day of the wedding they had to be there the wedding was at 3 p.m. they had to be there at noon for pictures it was they were supposed to be at the church by 10 so they get to the church and uh, the groomsman um, my boss's son unzipped his jacket and one of the other guys said Hey, you, you've got the wrong color, and and he's colorblind, and so he was like, uh, I mean, his stomach sank. But then he's like, Oh, oh, you're you're kidding, you're kidding, <laughs> and so they're like, um, No, it's gray, and ours is blue. It's like a, a bright navy blue, you know, not not a navy, but brighter blue, almost navy, but um, it was the wrong color. And uh, so the, the groomsmen were all going, okay, well, what, what do we do? What do we do? The wedding's awful. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they talked about shuffling things around. Maybe he could switch with the, with the, the 
ring guy or something. And but he was, yeah, well, no, I mean, not for the wedding. And they didn't want the bride to catch wind of this event. And so they're scheming and trying to figure out. And they looked for the nearest Macy's because that's where they'd gotten their suits from, and it was too far away. So um, the groom goes to the wedding coordinator and says, "Help! You know what do we do?" And so she starts thinking, and she thinks, okay, it, it's this little small town. The only person I know that's as tall as this guy and as skinny as this guy who might have a suit is the mayor. And so, <laughs> and so um, she knows the mayor, and so she calls him up. He happens to be in his office a few blocks away. And so he, he says, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And he, so he comes, he jogs over. They give him um, a jacket of one of the groomsmen. And so the mayor um, says, I, I think I might have one. And so he, he takes it, he runs home, he gets a suit, uh, brings it back. Um, it is perfect. It is perfect. It is just, you, you look at the pictures, you cannot tell the difference. And so, I mean, it was just such a God thing that, you know, here's the mayor, the only person in town that has the same size suit. So, anyway, they have the wedding. The bride has no idea that any of that happened. Um, and the groomsmen are all excited because they've kept this great secret, you know. They're like, oh, we did this. You know? God did it, really. And uh, which her mom was quick to point out. <laughs> But um, it was just such, such a faithful thing. It actually got written up in the newspaper because they heard about it. And so I have the article. I'll have to share it with y'all. But, I mean, it was just such a story of God's faithfulness. And um, Did he give the suit back? <laughs> I guess he did. I don't know. I'm sure he did. But, I mean, wow. You know, I was thinking about that. Um, the clothes of righteousness that we get, they don't come from the mayor. They come from Almighty God. And they're going to fit perfectly. And they're going to be exactly what He wants us to wear. And um, make yourself ready. I was thinking about that. You know, Randy, I, I'd never thought about... Jesus said, Lazarus come forth. I mean, I thought about that a lot, right? Jesus says that. But then when he says, unbind him. Thank you, Jesus. When he, yeah, when he says, unbind him, that's what the church does, right? And let him go. But the whole move away the stone. I was thinking about, well, who moves away the stone? And what's the sequence of events? I mean, God doesn't say, Lazarus come forth. And then he says, move away the stone. There's a bit of faith that they have to have. They say, well, move away the stone. They say, well, God, it's going to stink. I mean, how many times have you said when God asks you to do something, well, Lord, that's going to stink. Any, any, am I the only one? Uh, <laughs> I wonder what Lazarus was thinking about. Can you imagine being in a tomb, you know, you're and you just wake up and, you know, who knows what... Now, if you if you were up on your music, you would remember Carmen. Yes. 
who had a song about Lazarus, and Lazarus was in in, in, the, in the paradise, and he was talking to Moses and Noah and Elijah. And he says, "Tell me about that fire that came down," and you know, and he was getting all excited, and suddenly he hears this Lazarus perks up, Lazarus. And he, he tells he tells he tells Moses and Elijah and all those guys, "I've got to go." He's calling me. Jesus? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he says, Lazarus, Jesus, Lazarus, Jesus. And it, and it goes back and forth. You know, musically, it goes back and forth. And finally, Lazarus, he comes out, right? And he says goodbye to all those guys that are stuck in heaven. Well, I, no, no, Erase that part. They're stuck in that intermediate place. Oh, man, you got to check it out. It's it's powerful. <laughs> it's Carmen, the Carmen's passed away, so he's he's up there now. Look at page ten. Yeah, he's with that. It's so good to see y'all this morning. Thank you for braving the weather, uh, the heat. We're like the ma- we're like the mailman, right? Not. Not storm or weather or heat or cold, whatever can keep us keep us from our. But you know, it's such an encouragement to be together. You know, really, that's part of our unbinding, Larry is to encourage each other. Part of our removing the stone away is so people can hear the gospel. You know, Jesus speaks the word. It's always living when He says that. And, you know, we, we gather every Wednesday night on Zoom to pray. And I'm just thinking around, I mean, we, we've been praying for all of you guys. Martha, you and Larry especially. <laughs> we've been praying. Larry, it's good to see you without that neck brace on. Just, just let me say, it's good to see you up and walking uh, without the neck brace and all the other things that have been going on. We got a great report from the neurologist this week. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Sure. God does. He's the last of us, actually, from God's at work, Larry. He's at work. Look on page 10. Jesus God's righteousness revealed. The Son of Man, the Son of God, His kingdom comes. Jesus' redemption sacrifice, now glorified, now justified, His kingdom comes.